Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue our study from yesterday's teaching on the Great Commission. And this message is available for download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's a few highlights from our study yesterday. So pray intelligently. Pray intelligently. Now, what that also means in intelligent prayer is to couple what you know about God with a specific need. That's to get on the same page as God. Is the way I see why I put that? It's not to get God on our page. It's us to get on God's page. Have you ever thought how the Great Commission is a command to teach? Now here's Tom Cantor as he continues our study today on the importance of the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Teaching, teaching, teaching. It's a call to teaching. We need to be good teachers. All of us do. What does it say? What did, what did Paul say to his son in the faith, Timothy? He said in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.25, he says, Timothy, I want you to do something. In meekness, instructing. He says those words. Meekness, instructing. Those that oppose themselves. You remember Timothy how he was killed, according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, is that he was out there protesting against an idolatrous uh, march, and he was trampled to death. And this is what Paul told him. Timothy, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Don't see them as your enemies. See them as those who are shooting themselves in the foot. See them as those who, like when I was on the plane going to Nairobi, from London, and in this part of the plane, there was only two of us, it's me and this other lady, and I said, oh, what are you going to Nairobi before? And she said, well, I'm an anthropologist. I should have known what that meant. So, uh, and she said, what are you going there for? So, I don't know. I said, well, I'm an evangelist. That's what I told her. <laughs> but anyway, I realized she was going there to prove uh, that man came from nothing, or evolution, and all that. The, the link, the, she was looking for the missing links, with the apes and all. So she said, oh, she says, I fight against people like you. <laughs> I said, well, this is going to be a great flight. No, but <clears throat> I said, you fight against God? I said to her, do you think you can win? <laughs> I know, it sounds funny, but I, it's serious, you know? It's very serious. Do you think you can win against God? you think you can win that battle? This is what Paul was telling Timothy in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. To fight against God is to oppose yourself, is to shoot yourself in the foot. So we, in meekness, try to help people. How? By instructing them, Paul said, instructing them. Maybe, he said, if peradventure, God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Maybe they'll repent. Maybe they'll be saved. How? Because you took time to instruct them. Because you took time to teach them. You took time to show them. So this rakaf is a very, very important word because it's talking about teach. Let me show you what I mean. In, Gen- in uh, Jeremiah 23, 9, the verse that we're talking about, it says, Mine heart within me is broken. 
He says, broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. That's our word, rakat. They shake. And he says, I'm like a drunken man and a man that wine has overcome him. That's what he says. Because of the Lord and because of the words of his holiness. You know, start with the last part of that verse. It says, it's because of the Lord and because of the words of his holiness. Because of that, he says, he says try to create the scene in your mind of the prophet there because of the words and he's reading about this and he's thinking about the prophets and his heart gets is broken. He says, the feeling of, all, of it is like I've been overwhelmed with intoxication, with wine. I'm drunken, he says. And then he says, my bones shake. That's our word. My bones shake. Why? Because he says, he says, I'm all stirred up. I'm all, I'm all shaken up inside. That's an important part for teaching. Not just to give information, but to let the words, these words, shake us in our bones. Then you, then, then you go teach. Then you go teach. Then you go share your faith, however this is, share the gospel, whatever you want to share, or you preach or whatever. You instruct those that impose themselves because the word has shaken you in your bones. So Jim, Pastor Jim used to call this being exercised by the word. Exercised, however you want to call it. But this is the picture here. So it's very, very simple word. Very simple word that we read in Genesis 1-2 when it says the Spirit of God moved. Very simple word. Moved on the face of the water. Spirit of God. But this word moved, this word rakaf is pregnant with meaning. And we've seen we could, we, could, we could say, Rakaf, would you take the podium right now? And you could teach us all. And, and that's what God wants to do through this word. Rakaf, teach us. Teach us who God is. God is the God of Rakaf. God is the God who's concerned and he's hovering over his creation and over man. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. How to use that fact that God is the God of the hovering. Teach us how to work with and pray for the lost. And Rakaf can teach us that, to be concerned about them, to let, as we saw last week, their need penetrate our souls. Teach us how to teach. And we can hear that from Rakaf, let, to, let these words shake you up, shake you up in your bones, shake. So we're making good progress now. In our, where are we? We're back in Genesis 1. We're making very good progress. Now, darkness. This it was the darkness that caused the Spirit of God to hover with concern over the earth. It was the darkness that caused God to give the command, light, let there be light. And there was light. That caused light to be created. And by the way, verse 3 is another powerful argument when you pray. We get all hung up in prayer trying to tell God how he should fix a problem. You ever done that? You know, like he's an instruction manual. He doesn't actually need our advice. As a matter of fact, God doesn't even have a, a cabinet. He doesn't have a cabinet and he goes around the table and says, what do you think I should do? What do you think I should do? I don't know what to do. What do you think I should do? He doesn't do that. But what he does do is he speaks very powerful commands. That's the meaning. That, that's the lesson we get in verse 3. Very powerful commands. Let there be light. There was light. You know, there was a certain man in the New Testament who got a hold of this concept in Genesis 1-3 and he used it in prayer, and from his example, he teaches us how to pray. Let's turn to that. That's an exciting part. Uh, Matthew 8, verses 5 through 13. Matthew 8, 5 through 13. When Jesus was entered into Capernaum, the city, there came unto him a centurion. 
beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, epilepsy, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Ever been around someone who's had an epileptic, a grand mal fit? You don't feel helpless. You feel helpless. And And Jesus saith unto him, I'll come. I'll come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way. And as thou hast believed, so so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Now this is a tremendous event. Tremendous event. A Roman centurion runs up to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine the scene? Can you picture that? I mean, here's the Jewish Messiah surrounded by his Jewish followers. And here runs up this Roman centurion. Roman, Roman, Roman. Goy, goy, goy. He, not just any guy, he's a, he's a, a Roman, uh, uh, he's an officer in the occupying force. Fierce, he's got a sword, he's tattooed with his typical tattoo of his brigade on him, which says, I'll die for Rome, I'll die for Caesar. I mean, think of him like a, a, an SS officer in the Nazi army. Think of him along those lines. And he's got his big swastika on him and so forth. And this centurion comes with a broken heart. He's broken because he's got a sick servant and he loves his servant. And he's helpless. He doesn't know what to do. And so he's been following on the sidelines. Maybe he's been hearing himself or he's been getting reports and he's been watching the Savior and he's been watching his sick servant convulsing on his bed at home. And the centurion has done everything he possibly can do for the servant But when he goes into one of those seizures, he turns and he says, what are we going to do? And so he resolves he's going to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for help for his sick servant. I mean, think of this man. Think of him as praying to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's very specific in his request in verse 6. Good instruction as we've seen for prayer. My servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Very specific. You got it right on there exactly what the problem was. Then the Lord, since the centurion in his request was very, very specific, he said, my, my servant lieth at home. So the Lord took his words and he says, then I'll go to your home. I'll go to your home and I will uh, heal the servant. Then the centurion says, that's not necessary. It's not necessary for you to come. The centurion was more specific in his request. He says, just speak the word. Speak the word only. Let the Lord, and then the Lord healed the servant, like we know later on. But he said he was astonished. 
at this man's faith. As a matter of fact, when he healed the servant, it's very interesting. In ver- he said in verse, because the Lord said in verse 13, it all had to do with what the centurion believed. As thou hast believed, so be it unto thee. So our question is naturally, what did the centurion believe that made him do this miraculous healing? Well, do you know what the centurion believed? He believed Genesis 1-3. He believed our verse. He believed, furthermore, that he was talking to the person who said that in Genesis 1-3. That's what the centurion believed. He said, I'm talking to the person who said, let there be light. And there was light. He believed those two essential things. And that's why the only times when the centurion addressed him, which is in verse 6 and 7, he starts out by calling him what? Lord. He says, Lord, Lord. He's telling him, that's what he's saying here. But not just Lord as in a vague term, but the Lord who said, let there be light and there was light. Lord, speak the word only. Tom, today you mentioned about not telling God how to do his work in prayer. What did you mean by that? Well, it's very, very tempting for us to be so anxious about a matter that we have got it all worked out on what God should do, and then we begin, and when we are in prayer, we say, now, Lord, do this and do that and do this. And and it's foolish for us to do that because he's told us in another place in the Bible that his thoughts are not our thoughts and that if we call on him, that he will show us great and mighty things which we know not. So when he says which we know not, that means we don't know. And so if we don't know, then it's foolish for us to tell him how to do things. You know, when you look at the pattern for prayer, which he gave us in what is called uh, the Lord's Prayer, but it's really our prayer, it's that, and it says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, etc. Now, what would it be like if we prayed something like, Thy kingdom come, and this is the way you should do it, Lord. You need to put down this president and raise up this man, and that'll be your kingdom coming. That would be ridiculous. Or if we said, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Clearly, Lord, that what's happening over here in this country is not your will, so this needs to stop it if you would just push that button, please. Or give us this day our daily bread. Lord, I I think what should happen is that the, the, uh, the, the, the grocery store should say to me today, congratulations, you just now have the ability to take out anything you want from the grocery store. It'll all be free. I mean, all those kind of things. If we said those kind of things, it'd be ridiculous. And so it's interesting when you look at this passage here of the Lord's Prayer, there are no details where he's telling us that we should tell God how to do it. But really what it is, when you analyze it and you step back and say, well, what is it in the Lord's Prayer? It's it's really putting yourself and putting ourselves in the position of a little child looking up to his parent and saying, please, I need this, I need that, I need this, I need that. And so it's saying, I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done. I need daily bread please give it to me. I want you and I need you to forgive me my debts. Please don't lead me into temptation. There's evil out there. Deliver me from the evil. 
You see, all of that is is not presuming and it's not assuming that he's going to do it. It's asking him directly to do it. And when we do that, then we get in the position where we started off with the prayer of Father. He's our Father, therefore, and we ask him all these things. And it also sets us up for the position of praise, because when we ask him, then we have a great position that when he does it, to go back to him and say, Father, I want to thank you because I asked you at this time, and you know what? You did it, and this is how you did it, and it was really marvelous to see how you did it, and so I want to thank you for doing that. See, that's a, a position that he's trying to get us into, and that's what prayer really does. It aligns us in the position of being the child and him being the father. That is a magnificent picture and depiction of how prayer should be. Uh, Tom, today you also tied in the Gentile centurion's faith with the creation account, which was very, very interesting. Now, what could the Jewish people learn from the Gentile centurion's faith? Well, this is really a remarkable scene. I mean, you could not get a person more far away from the Jewish people than a Roman general, the centurion, who's in charge of all these people. I mean, he comes from Rome. He comes from the city of the temples of the gods, the false gods. And what we today look at mythology for them, they didn't look at mythology for them, it was reality. I and mean, he is very, very, has a, let's just put it this way, he has a background that's very, very far from God. But he surfaces on the scene And what do we see him? We see him as all of a sudden a person who is very close to God, who's got it right. And so what the Jewish people could learn from looking at him is they should just stand back and say, what did he say? What does he believe? Where is he coming from? And when they do that, they can say, he just said that all the Lord Jesus Christ has to do is speak words, and from spoken words, there will be a change in the situation. He's saying here that this person is the same one who looked at the darkness and said, let there be light, and because he said the words, let there be light, there was light. He then realized that in the great need of his heart, there needed to be a healing for someone very, very close to him. He realized man could not bring about this healing. He was desperate. So he went to the one who could do it, and he said, Lord. The Jewish people can learn from that. He called him Lord. He said, Speak the words only. The Jewish people can learn that the Lord Jesus Christ, being the great almighty God, has only to speak the words, and it'll be so. Speak the words only. He's a great, great lesson. And there's one more thing that the Jewish people can learn. It doesn't matter how far you are away from God. It doesn't matter what your upbringing was. 
and how disadvantaged you were in terms of education about God, if this Roman centurion could come from as far away as he did to such a place where the Lord Jesus Christ would say, hats off, hats off to the man who has the faith that I have not found in Israel, that that is a lesson for all of us, that we all can come to putting our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as God himself. Today it was also interesting to hear about the many that would come from the East and the West and who will end up sitting down with Abraham. Can you give us a little further explanation about what you're referring to? Yeah, I mean, when you talk about sitting down with Abraham, I mean, who do you expect to be sitting down with Abraham? I mean, uh, you know, you, you, you go out into the world today and you have this company and it's called the Abraham Company. And so who do you expect there to be sitting down at the Abraham Company? You expect to find Mr. Goldstein and Mr. Levine and Mr. Cohen and Mr. Rosenblatt. And we're all sitting down with Abraham. That's the way you expect it to be, right? Well, here he's talking about many sitting down from Abraham, with Abraham that don't have those names, that don't have those backgrounds. In fact, they're coming from very, very different places. Eskimos sitting down with Abraham. Ethiopians sitting down with Abraham. Paraguayans sitting down with Abraham. Indonesians from the jungle sitting down with Abraham. Japanese and Chinese and Mongolians and people from Uzbekistan, all sitting down with Abraham. What are they doing there? Because they have come to the faith of Abraham. All those people I've mentioned have come, just like we talked about the Roman centurion. They've come from all those different backgrounds, and they've come just as Abraham did, just as the centurion did, to put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their God and Savior. And they've all done that. And God said, you are children of Abraham. You get to sit down with Abraham. Where do you sit down with Abraham? Heaven, God's place. Anybody who follows the steps of Abraham in putting their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ sits down with Abraham. And so what it means to sit down with Abraham, it means you've come to your place of rest. You've come to your place of unity, your echad with Abraham. You're one with him. All around one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the uniting one. So it's, a, it's an amazing statement when he says, many will should come from the east and the west and will sit down with Abraham. It's something that we're all going to be absolutely amazed at. And you know what's going to happen when they sit down with Abraham? They're going to look at Abraham and they're going to say, you helped me. I read about you, Father Abraham, in the Bible. And I saw that when God called you to leave your family and your kindred and everything you know with those Hebrew words, lech lecha, go, go, that you left. And you know what? I'm the, the Indonesian native 
And I also, though I wasn't in Canaan, nevertheless, I had to leave my life of animism. I had to leave my family, which were witch doctors. I had to leave everything I know to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like you, Father Abraham. You see how I'm the same as you? And the Eskimo says the same thing. And the Paraguayan from the Manhui tribe that's only lived out in, 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 in the jungle for all of his life and existence as animist. He says, yes, yes, me too. Too, because that missionary came and taught me about the Word of God, taught me about the true God, taught me about the true God was the Lord Jesus Christ, taught me that you, Abraham, were a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, so I came too. And each one from their own country is going to stand up and say, and me too, and me too, and I am a child of Abraham. And God's going to say, yes, you are. Yes, you are. And so therefore, in describing that situation to us now, he says, you know what it is? It's many. It's not a few. It's many. And where are they coming from? East, west, north, south. All with different backgrounds. But all leaving in order to come to one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to be united around him. Thank you for joining us today. Tomorrow, Tom Cantor will finish our study from today's message that's helping us to build a better friendship with God. Now, this message and previous messages are available for free listening and free download from our websites at friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org. There you can learn more about Tom Cantor and study more about the friendship of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You can also contact us directly by phone and we can send you a copy of today's broadcast or other resources and materials that are available. Call us at 1-800-247-3051. Once again, that number is 1-800-247-3051. And we'd like to hear more about what you like about friendship with God. Now you can also find Israel Restoration Ministries and Tom Cantor on Facebook and there you can receive a daily devotional thought from Tom Cantor. You can also contact Tom Cantor by sending an email to tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening. Join us again tomorrow at the same time.